0: If you were to ask us, what's the one thing that's responsible for our growth, I wouldn't say it's one thing. And you can look from the outside in and say, oh, it's because they have, you know, recognizable founder or the products are amazing or, or whatever it is. or they have amazing ads. And it's really not. There's so much that you don't see behind the scenes. But really, it's you don't have to be amazing at one thing. You just have to figure out you have to do a lot of things well. You don't have to do everything well and you don't have to do them perfectly, but you have to do enough things well enough. And I think you have to figure out and be disciplined in which ones those are and which things you're not even going to focus on and, and worry about.
1: What is up, Modern Commerce listeners? I want to show you an amazing app we've been using called Triple Whale. You can check it out. Try TripleWhale.com. It has all of the business health metrics and growth metrics you could possibly need all in one place, right? So everybody can get on the same page. This has revolutionized our ability to help grow brands and collaborate with brands. Everyone can get on the same page on the most important metrics. So if you're a media buyer, you could come into this and you can just use this little pin icon right here, and you can pin to the top the most important stuff to you. So if I'm a media buyer, I might have ROAS, I might might have ad spend, I might have new customer ROAS, right? But if I'm an owner, maybe those things aren't as important to me. Maybe I just want, you know, net profit, show me the net profit, show me the sales, right? Show me the number of orders. Um, so everyone on the team can get in line, get, you know, on the same page of what the most important growth metrics are because it's different for every brand. Um, so grab Triple Whale at TryTripleWhale.com. Use it. I promise you it will make your growth path far more clear. And uh, enjoy this episode of Modern Commerce.
2: Welcome back, Modern Commerce. You're here again with Casey and John. And today we've got another hard-hitting interview for you. We're continuing our How to Build a Brand series. Uh, this one is John's baby, really. This was all his idea. So you can thank him for all these awesome interviews we're getting lately. Uh, John, who do we have today with us?
1: Thank you, Casey. And before we move to that, I just I need to comment on the bomber jacket. It is fantastic. I'm a big fan. Stick Thanks. with it yeah give me more black t-shirt with bomber jacket i'm all about it
2: thanks dude i am glad you noticed underneath too it was just a black t-shirt and you you're like hey man you wear a lot of black t-shirts i'm like i like them so today just for you put on a jacket
1: i like it uh today we have a a super awesome guest somebody i've like i i kind of like hounded hounded you for like months right cody to to be on here we have cody plofker who is the cmo of jones road beauty um, I won't over-intro him, but yeah, this was a guest that I really wanted to get on for a long time. Somebody who I, I really respect uh, in e-commerce and marketing. So yeah, Cody, if you want to give us maybe just a little background on you and a little background on, on Jones Road Beauty.
0: Um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate having me. I've listened to a bunch of them and they're really good, so really excited to chat. Uh, Cody, I'm CMO at Jones Road Beauty, so we are a clean eight-figure beauty brand. Founded by Bobby Brown, uh, we're, we're pretty new, new but growing really fast and yeah, excited to be here. Uh, kind of come from an untraditional background. My first kind of job, I actually owned a, a gym in a physical therapy clinic with my now wife and that's kind of how I learned marketing. I just have like an addictive personality. So as soon as I learned like that was what we needed to do to actually grow and survive, I just got kind of completely hooked on it, you know, got really into like direct response marketing, like old school copywriting. Obviously, uh, made my way over to Facebook ads, got hooked on it and kind of one thing became another and and here we are.
1: Yeah, that's amazing.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was similar for me, right? Like, uh,
1: I I didn't own a business, but it was like, I, I got hired to be like, the director of marketing for like, I was not qualified at all. And so it's like, yeah, you just get hooked on it, and then and then you get that feeling of like, hey, I spent a dollar and I turned it into more dollars. Like
0: that's pretty crazy. Uh, yeah, it's hard hard to let go. But yeah, so give me a little background. back in the back in the old days though, when you could do that, yeah. it was a lot easier. <laughs> yeah,
2: now it's a little bit harder to
1: turn one dollar into very many more dollars. But yeah, um, yeah. So great, and, and give me a little background on on the brand on General, Jones Road Beauty because I think this is actually a really cool story that you're pretty connected to. Yeah.
0: For sure, yeah. So the brand is, uh, if anybody has ever heard of Bobby Brown, my mom is Bobby Brown, so she's a, a pretty well-known makeup artist. So after leaving Bobby Brown Cosmetics, uh, decided to found Jones Road Beauty, uh, and she launched it um, October 2020. So pretty much kind of like mid-pandemic, and you know, it's it's a we're, we're a clean brand. It's it's really trying to take everything that she has learned throughout her career and kind of simplifying that down into like a no makeup makeup look. But you know, obviously, clean products weren't really a thing back then, so that's kind of a another value add that we have and um yeah it's it's been amazing i mean since launch it's just been really well received obviously really fortunate to have you know a well-known founder and an existing audience but it's just been a ton of fun obviously there's always been struggles but yeah we we, we've grown really quickly i mean did eight figures in the first year and uh you know continuing to to grow really fast and obviously there are issues and supply chain things but but it's been awesome
1: yeah that's amazing so okay um One of the things you and I have like gone back and forth about on on Twitter. So what I want to do and and what I've I've you know kind of told you up front is is we're looking to do kind of brand growth stories. We wanted to tell you kind of some of the successes you've had, some of the things people can learn from, but also some of the circumstantial stuff, right? Like some of the stuff that like you look, you know, somebody could go copy this and I give you the exact playbook we run, but it it doesn't mean it's gonna work for you because we have you know, X, Y, Z, unique circumstance or something like that. And one of the things you and I have talked about on Twitter that is uh, like one of my favorite topics is moats, true moats, right? Like, uh, and if you're not familiar with that, that term, a moat, meaning like, you know, a moat around a castle, you know, if you have like a deep and wide moat around the castle, it's harder to get in, right? In medieval times. Um, The same thing with the business, like a true moat around the business that make it really hard for somebody to replicate, like really hard for your business to sort of like go under, right? To get like, I don't know, taken over, attacked, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but um, it really is like a great defense around your business. And you and I have talked about that, and I think it's something Jones Road Beauty has. So I mean, I would be interested in your perspective on like, you know, is this something you got involved with because you saw there is a true moat here? Or 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 is it like you know? Is there a world where you would have gotten involved with with marketing? You know, e-commerce brands that didn't have true moats. Like, did you have that foresight when you got involved, or were you still just like, yeah, I'm I'm a beast at Facebook ads, so we'll be good to go? You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, for sure. That's a great question. So before this company, I was involved in in e-commerce, and that's pretty much what I was doing. And you know, that was you know 2018 through like 2020, I guess. Mm -hmm. And you really didn't have to have a moat because obviously that was pre iOS and so I was, I mean, I'm, I'm 29 years old, but I was probably 26, 27 then. And I was so arrogant that I truly thought that none of that stuff mattered. I didn't think brand mattered. I had no idea what gross margins meant. I knew i knew LTV mattered, but I thought anybody could get LTV through you know, through email, you know, like upsells yeah. and stuff like right, that. Right. But really like, like, why do you have to do all stuff? Like just do Facebook. Like I spend $1, I get five back. Like, let's just do that. And like, none of that stuff really mattered. Uh, and obviously it helped. And a brand that has a true moat, whether that's a celebrity founder, which I believe is one of ours, whether that's amazing margins or vertical integration or a negative cash conversion cycle, it helped, but it didn't, it wasn't a necessity. And now I feel like the brands that are doing well and the brands that are struggling, that's really the most important thing. You know, it can be a, a truly differentiated product. It can be amazing margins, amazing LTV, a brand but uh, I think it's, it's a necessity now in direct-to-consumer versus it was just an afterthought or a luxury before.
1: Right, and, and, and I think that uh, I would actually say still it is in the true sense that we're talking about, like what is a, a real mo- a real competitive advantage, a thing that is like, it's pretty hard to cross. Uh, I think it's still a little bit of an afterthought for a lot of, bre- like uh, the people in, in more of like the founder category uh, aren't necessarily catching up to that. marketers i think have have known for a while right like the people who went from maybe drop shipping to like kind of more branded drop shipping you know domestic drop shipping to like maybe sourcing and 3pl like they've kind of realized for a while that like yeah look you know even sourcing 3pl like building that brand it it doesn't really like it there's got to be a more true moat uh but i do i have noticed that like you know now that e-commerce is becoming a little more mainstream getting picked up by Aggregators, VCs, things like that. It seems like you know maybe they're a little unaware. Like I think somebody pitched me to be an early investor, which I'm not even really an investor. Like I'm not advertising on my podcast that I'm here to invest in brands. Like I, I definitely couldn't write a, a very big check if I did. But it was like I mean they just wanted to launch a dog products brand, you know, with with product they sourced in China, which you, you no problem sourcing product that's fine. But like they wanted to launch a dog products brand with this sort of like sustainability kind of message of like they were gonna, uh, I think uh, donate a percentage of proceeds to, and I'm like, that's, that's too played out, you know? Like it's not a real moat. I, I just, you know, I don't, and I hate to like kind of be, b- burst that bubble for anybody in that category, but yeah, I mean, that, I don't mean to ramble on this, but um, I think that's what we're talking about, right? Is true moats. So one that we hear a lot, Casey, right? Is like, oh, my, my product, my product is my moat. Like our product is really great. Um, or my brand is my moat. Bra- so my brand is really great. And uh, yeah, what do you say to that? Because like, sometimes I'm like a little skeptical there, you know, and I, but I'll save my thoughts. Like, Cody, what are your thoughts there? Like, can, pro- I think, you know, can product that's not truly exclusive to you be a, be a moat? Can brand be a moat if it's not a certain size?
0: The way I would think about moat is like if Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk came along and entered your category tomorrow, would you be you know scared, scared of what they would do? Right. Right. They can knock off your product. They anybody unless you have some I guess copyrights or patents or something. Anybody with the right resources can knock off your product. You know. I mean, you could even say if you're thinking about logistics things, whether that's vertical integration or amazing, um, amazing relationships and and terms with with you know your vendors. Uh, that can be knocked off pretty easily, so I do think that those help, but they're not a direct moat. You know, I, I don't think product is a moat. I do think you have to have it. You can't be the same. You can't be the same skincare brand that everybody else has. You do have. I think a few a few companies, like for example Casper, I wouldn't say that they have a moat for their product, right? I think that they yep. didn't really have a moat, and I think that's why they've kind of uh, had a hard time on the public markets. Yeah, just because it's it's a bed and it's it's not even that good of a bed. I don't. I think it's probably like an average bed uh and a little bit overpriced right. they don't you know like but what seriously what is their moat like besides being like an early DTC company like they maybe they said DTC was a moat and now that there's no competition or there's tons of competition there
1: yeah we we've said this before it's like hey um, if your moat is that you're a disruptor <laughs> The most spaces have been pretty disrupted at this point. So like, yeah, being a true disruptor can be a competitive advantage. If you, if you are one and sometimes we'll have brands come along that say that's their moat, like, oh, there's this need, you know, there's this gap. We're filling a market gap. Like that's one of the favorite, uh, phrases of DTC founders, right. Is we're filling a market gap. Um, and I feel like we're kind of like poo pooing a little bit here and, and we'll get away from it. But like, uh, are you really like, and it, it maybe you are, but is it really a very big gap because uh, the, the mattress space has now been disrupted like 50 times in the last, uh, five, 10 years. So I don't know if you're really, I don't know if you can really be a disruptor there anymore, or there are certain spaces. We actually worked with one last year that was like seat covers, like seat mm-hmm. covers that people put in their truck. And I'm like, yeah, this is a space that hasn't been disrupted yet. Like, cause nobody cares. Uh, but yeah, I mean, for the, for the most part, if that's the mo, or if that's the competitive advantage, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I don't know if that like disruptor angle really is it anymore,
0: you know? Yeah. And, and it also when you have a moat, it's not to say that you can't do other things well, you know, maybe you can get to seven figures with, you know, a decent product and a great yeah. brand or a great storytelling, you know, or, or good, whatever <laughs> margins, but to actually get to like, you know, big, bigger outcomes and and whatever, you know, your goal is like, you probably need multiple things. And it's not that you need multiple moats, but just a moat doesn't fix it. You need, right. you know, if you if you have an amazing brand, you still need a great product or that's going to catch up to you, you know? Uh, if you have great retention, you know, you still need an amazing product. Like there's multiple things that are important because there's now so much more competition. It, yeah. it's, it's that, but if you don't have anything, you're going to be really struggling.
1: You got to have some, you can't just live on great marketing, um, I think is the, the TLDR version. And, For sure. and yeah, like to your point, if you've got a moat that doesn't mean it's going to work uh because yeah i mean like look what if product really is your moat? if it's like okay this product really is incredible um well, that's fine that should show up in lifetime values right like if the product mm-hmm. is so good that people aren't going to be able to live without it once they use it well, you still have to get them to use it the first time so uh you know if if that's the whole moat and then you're like really bad at everything else then you're probably not even going to be able to get them to use it the first time efficiently enough. Um, or if you do have a moat, you got to leverage it, right? Like we actually worked with a brand that had a, like a very real moat. One of their uh, founders was a major celebrity. Like if I said the name, it's an athlete. And if I said the name, you would know it. Like an athlete that's transcended beyond just their sport. Um, and and uh, like that she wouldn't allow herself to be used in ads. Like she wouldn't allow us to whitelist. And I'm like, it's Mm -hmm. not like she's just a partner, right? Like she's a founding member and it's like, well, okay. Yeah. Your remote just went away. So um, if you can't leverage it, like that's another thing. So, okay. I want to move past this a little bit. One more thing. So if, if you don't have one, like let's say there's no celebrity that you're not vertically integrated, you know, and those are the two that like a lot of times you're just that from launch, right? Like, it's a celebrity brand or it's an influencer brand, or you like just started by like being a maker and then you kind of vertically integrated your processes or whatever. Um, it, 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 so let's say you don't have, can one be manufactured? What do you think?
0: Like, is that possible? You know? Can you manufacture a moat? I guess that's marketing. You know, I think the difference is a lot of people thought that brand, uh, performance marketing was a moat or you didn't need a moat because, you know, you could, again, growth marketing, paid marketing, like, Mm-hmm. anything succeeded, it didn't, the messaging wasn't as important. I, I do think, and again, it depends on your goals and size. And, you know, I know we've had debates on Twitter about like, is product even important? And I think it depends what what your definition of success looks like. You can get to seven figures, even um, if you have some good storytelling, some, some, some good design right. and branding. But if you're trying to get, you know, to an IPO, like obviously you have to have an amazing product. So I think that's just like the first disclaimer. That, that I do think it depends. I do think that you can get to a decent size. The reason I'm saying, I do think you can get to a decent size, seven to even eight figures with brand as your moat, meaning a decent product, you know, doesn't have to be amazing. Can't be terrible, but doesn't have to be made amazing. You can get brand storytelling or having an audience, you know? Right. I do think that you could launch a, a brand and be successful, even if your product was not that differentiated, if you had an amazing, whether that's personality or audience.
1: I agree. So, so if you're not, An influencer celebrity at the start. I actually think you can build a community with a brand, right? Like, especially if there's a common interest. Uh, you know, so Jones Road beauty, you know, I, I'm sure you guys are focused on, and I think we've talked about this, something you're focused on right now is building community. Yeah. Um, community is is another, it, that's a manufactured mode, right? Like, hey, we started with this brand, we started selling, we have customers. So you have the makings of a community already, and now you just have to move it to a place where a community can live and thrive and, and um, you know, interact with each other. So um, cool. Yeah. I mean, talk to me maybe a little bit. Like, let's get back to Jones Road. Yeah. Um I have a couple questions here because uh, so you kind of launched. You had this kind of really great first year. I would suspect that was you know heavily. I, I would suspect that like the main driver of that. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong. I'm suspect, suspect the main driver of that is is what we're just talking about. It's your mo of having uh, a pretty real celebrity uh, exactly. b- behind the brand, and then good. I bet it, you know. You, I would even say it probably didn't even have to be great marketing. Just good. Good, solid, fundamental. I
0: I would, I would say, good. That would be a very nice way to put it.
1: Yeah, I'm sure you're great, actually. Mm -hmm. But like, uh, you know, just solid, fundamental. Like, because that's, I mean, it was just fuel for that fire that was already burning. Mm -hmm. So, where do you go from there if you're Jones Road? It's like, hey, we got this thing going. We got all this momentum. We have all this tailwind. You know, eventually, just that tailwind or that whirlwind of like, hey, we we launched on the back of this moat. We launched with good and even maybe great marketing like, what, what, where do we go from here? Like, does that up into the right trend continue? Or do you kind of accept like, look, that trend's not going to continue forever, but we kind of continue to optimize and, and go that direction? Or do you say, all right, what's the next thing we need to do
0: to get that like
1: hyper growth again?
0: Always, what's the next thing that we need to do to get that growth? Um, you You kind of, and it's not the healthiest thing, but I guess you have to live in kind of a pessimistic state and know that you can be knocked off, your growth can stall at any minute. You know, if you're hot right now, it it can always die off and definitely don't want to rest on your laurels. And that's something that like, I definitely never thought, and there were probably many internal, you know, meetings and disagreements about this, that our moat was good enough, that you can't just have one, you can't ignore everything else, you know? And so you can't just be a great product company. You can't be a celebrity brand. There are so many examples of all of those that that haven't done well, and, and for whatever reason. So I want to be great at everything. I want to have great paid. I want to have great Facebook ads, really good systems for turning that out. I want to have great influencer marketing. Email is pretty much free, so you should be doing every like. There's just no excuse not to be driving thirty percent to forty percent of revenue from email. You know, I wanted to, to work on a website. You just can't rest on on your laurels at all. And I think that has been it. Obviously, there's there's luck, there's our moat, but that's kind of I think the key to success is. Not one area that I think we're crushing. I think we're doing a lot of things well enough. And first year, we didn't have to, we didn't have to do any conversion rate optimization. Like we didn't really have to hyper optimize anything. Mm-hmm. And now that we're able to build out our team that we have this growth trajectory, like now we're, we're trying to take it from, you know, just, just okay, good enough to, to get us to where we want to go. Like, I'm not saying you have to be great at everything, but you have to be pretty good at a bunch of things
1: yeah i i you know i like it so because this leads me to my next question and and i i didn't even know you were going to go here with team you're doing something that a lot of e-commerce brands in your stage uh, what are you? I mean, you're two—not even two years old at this point, right? Um, yeah, like, right. A, like a year and like you're like 18 months old, right? Uh, you're doing a lot, something that a lot of e-commerce brands at your stage don't do. So, m- many e-commerce brands at your stage work with—I uh, I would say, on average—and it depends on the growth trajectory. And your guys is is high. You have a you have a fast growth trajectory, so I can kind of understand this. But um, you know, they're working with agency partners outsource work, freelancers, things like that, um, and keeping their internal team and their payroll and overhead down, uh, for the first few years, oftentimes before, until they get to a point where they have like a pretty solid idea of, of demand planning. Right. And, and the de- demand planning in e-commerce, like I always make the joke that demand planning is like, oh, you mean demand guessing? Like, but, <laughs> but like, uh, until we get to a point where it's like, Hey, we know that We'll probably be able to drive you know even if everything is worst case scenario just from our email list rebuys everything like that we'll be able to drive this much revenue and we know we can cover this much overhead and that's when they start building the internal team you're aggressive there you're building an internal team and you're building an internal team that isn't just junior people right like you're not building a team of junior people that you can delegate tasks to you're actually building a team of people that you can delegate outcomes to like some even like kind of like I'm guessing, not the lowest salary employees out there, right? Um, okay. I'm interested in your philosophy there because it's a little bit different route, and I'm not saying it's the wrong route. It's a little different route than many go who use agency partners for the first little while.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I guess everybody has just their own take and their own perspective on you know agency versus in house, and I, I definitely am very neutral about it. I think we still do have agency partners, and mm-hmm. we still do things in house. It kind of just depends on you know, the part of the business. And, and it also depends on what your internal team's skills are, you know? So like, for example, we started with a paid social agency just because I wasn't involved. And as I got, you know, more involved, like w- we no longer needed them. We outsource creative because right now, you know, video creative is not our strength at all. So we outsource that. And with that being like, you know, quote unquote, the biggest lever on Facebook, like we felt like it was a better return on our dollars to invest there versus, you know, media buying can be a little bit more of a, of a simpler task, you know, that multiple people can do. We, we had the growth strategy in house, you know, for me, so we didn't necessarily need that from an agency partner, but, you know, for example, we don't have a, a, an engineering team in house. So obviously we're working with the web developer. Um, You know, a lot of our, our creative, you know, photo shoots and stuff like that is agencies, but, you know, we, we like would never think of outsourcing kind of some of the stuff that I think is like core to your DNA. And I, I've just seen so many, Brands. I don't even know what the brands do because I hire a, a branding agency. They'll hire a Red Antler, they'll hire a paid social and a creative, and an email agency and a website agency. It's like, what do, what is a brand actually created?
1: Yeah, they and, they're managers. That's what they are. They're exactly. Agents. Yeah. Yeah. And
0: and we're we're like so not corporate. We're trying to keep everything as lean as efficient as we can. So number one is just like understanding payroll as a as a percent of revenue. And I think like we still have an extremely, extremely lean team for the size of, of our growth and business. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. personally still buying the ads and I'm you know, and, and yeah. I'm in the CMO role at this position. Like I'm personally still posting on TikTok most days. So like, we're actually extremely lean compared to other brands I know of at the size. Um, even though we don't work with that many agencies, each yeah. person here is just kind of doing a, a bit and I'd rather have, I think what we learned initially is we had a lot of people who, and we didn't really know what we needed, we, we grew so fast where we kind of just threw into a role without experience, without proper you know, direction. And it ends up being a lot more expensive and, and you have to move so much slower if you have to babysit. And not everyone's kind of ready for that startup life in a fast growth company. So we'd rather pay a little bit more for somebody who's great. And I think if you have strong leaders at the top of their department, everything else just flows much better and you can get more out of even less people in that department. But you got to be strong at the top.
1: What is your... Uh position on giving equity to team members?
0: I would say- It's okay to
1: say you don't do it. I know it's not trendy and hip. It's okay to say, hey, I don't believe in it and here's why. Yeah,
0: yeah. Just letting you know it's
1: not a trap question. Yeah. So
0: it depends. We haven't raised money. We have zero plans to raise money. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a family owned company, you know, it's a privately owned company. So it's going to be completely different than if you're going to a venture back company. Uh, And, and I think it completely depends. So yeah, for us, you know, for us, it's not really a thing. And, you know, uh, it's just kind of depends on what the person's looking for.
1: I think it is specifically in those scenarios. I think if you're going to like a
0: venture back company, if
1: like you're going to like a thoracio to work. Yeah. It's like, it's kind of part of the expectation, right? Like yeah. you guys raise money and then you buy, like, basically you're just like this big, like cash machine, right? Um, That like just moves cash around. Like, yeah, the, I expect the, like those kinds of companies are cutting basically every team member in on that. Um, yeah. But I think especially with privately owned, um, you know, the, the company that is structured, uh, who acquired my agency, they're privately owned, right? Like they've never done any raises and that's common in the agency space it's like, you know, they've had this discussion, where do we give equity? You know, like well, key team members, but what, like what's equity a function of, um, or other privately owned e-commerce businesses. Cause that, that's actually one of the things I'm, I'm wondering, like if you're looking to attract top talent, is it possible to do so without giving equity? You it, know what it I mean? It's
0: possible. Definitely. I'm not going to say it's easier, but it's certainly possible. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah you you just, might have to pay like, a little bit more for up front. you You might have to really do a better job selling the vis- the vision, you know, you might have to kind of build a culture and an experience that they really want to be a part of outside of the equity piece. Um, but, but if not, yeah, it's not to say if you're privately owned, you can't, but it's not going to be, I guess, as commonplace or as expected as with a VC backed company. Yeah, for sure, for sure.
1: Um, cool. Yeah, and, and my take on that is that with privately owned companies, my what I've said, I've actually heard this from. I don't know if you're familiar with Ryan Dice or Digital marketing. Yeah, yeah,
0: for sure.
1: Um, I heard him on a podcast where he said, uh, "My position on equity is that equity is a function of risk. Mm-hmm. So if you've taken More risk, better. yeah, and, and I'm like, that's great, and a pro- I actually believe that. So and and like if you've taken risk." then you may get some equity, right? So if, if I sell my company to you as part of an acquisition and maybe a piece of that deal could be some equity in your company because I'm taking a risk selling my company to you, right? Yeah. Um, or uh, like another thing he said is like, if an employee will say, hey, you know what? Like I'll take, you know, my, my going rate for me is probably 150K a year. I'll take 75 and a point or two, right? Like for sure. they're taking a personal risk you know, to, so, so yeah, he's like to, to me, if equity is a function of risk, but if you want a top level salary and you want equity, like, you know, a private company probably isn't the place for you.
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: No. Okay. So, um, I want to talk about a little bit about, um, so you have a lot of tailwind on Jones road and, and now it's kind of a, a like system of, okay, what do we do to like keep that momentum going? Um, what do you think that actually let's take a quick break here uh because i know that you're i'm gonna i'm gonna let casey hop in here i know that you're a sports guy and we like to do we like to kind of do some sports analogies. so yeah uh casey go
2: yeah so um i don't know if we brought it up on our pre-call uh call but uh yeah we're a big fan of sports analogies on the show it's kind of been a staple in these interviews that we ask do you have a favorite sports metaphor that you bring to the business world just in large. I'll give you an example. Uh, one that we use is like uh, you run to set up the past, run to set up the deep pass, right? Like, so it'd be kind of like engaging an audience, not necessarily giving them the biggest offers of all time All the time, but keeping them engaged, you know, that's that's handing the ball off a couple times in a row. And when they get used to engaging, but without an offer, that's when you hit them with that big offer. You go long, you go deep, you go for that touchdown throw over the top. Um, I don't know if you're a football fan, it doesn't have to be football, uh, but yeah, whatever, uh, whatever analogy you might have,
0: yeah, Yeah, for sure. So, I guess maybe not an analogy, maybe a metaphor, and yeah, it's pretty simple, but I just think about you know. I think a lot of my role right now is, is building our team. And I, th- I just think about it in terms of building a sports team, you know, okay. it can be any team, but probably uh, an NBA team is the most important, you know, and just understanding not only how, you know, like what you need and what the needs are, but really what's most important is how all the, the pieces fit together, you know, and knowing that you can't put, you know, five Michael Jordans or Shaqs on a team and, and you can't put, you know, you would never be able to put like Kobe and Shaq and Michael together. It's just too much going on and too many egos but you also don't want to have the entire team be filled with, you know, six men of of the year. So you really have to understand, you know, the different personalities, which is, you know, how you're building your culture, but also the different skill sets and, and knowing you don't have to be amazingly strong in one area. It really is a team game and everyone's got to kind of hold their own, but you don't need A players all across the board. Sometimes you're fine with B players and it's actually, you don't want A players all across the board.
1: I agree with that, and I think it's like, man, I just hate—I—I I, I shouldn't say I hate it, but like the it, like the it's like the—I I feel like in wherever people go to get trained to do HR, they get told like, hey, you, the main thing that you need to do is put in every job description that you're building a rock star team, um, mm-hmm. and like that's that's their education. And they're like, okay, now you've got to go out into the world. Um, that yeah, I mean, it, it, we've got actually a great recruiter and HR person, so um, that's like. Yeah. I mean, like every, oh, we got a team of rock stars. Like how often do you hear that? I'm like, by definition, you cannot have a whole band full of rock stars or a whole team full of rock stars. Right. So, but that's me. So yeah, going to sports, like I love that analogy because I'm also an NBA fan. Um, and like, you know, one of the things that I respect most in NBA teams is teams like, um, like Golden State this year, or like Milwaukee. Like Golden State is getting—I mean, not now because he broke his elbow, but but Golden State is getting like 20 minutes a night out of Gary Payton II, who like couldn't even find a home a year ago, right? Like they that was figured a dirty out dirty
2: play, by the way, dirty play.
1: Yeah, it. I mean, yeah, we we could go down that road, but like <laughs> it, like it's it's like he couldn't even like people couldn't even find a use for him, right? Like mm-hmm. other teams couldn't even find a use for him, and they figured out a way to use. This person – or like uh, Milwaukee Grayson Allen is a great example. I'm a Jazz fan. We we drafted Grayson Allen. We had no use for him. We traded him to Memphis. He got a little more usage. Milwaukee gets like 20, 25 point, minutes a night out of Grayson Allen. Uh, they just like found a way to use this guy with the other pieces that they have. So, I mean, the championship teams a lot of times are built on – yeah, like a super team. You never see super teams with – Can, like, I, can more, I play
0: devil's advocate just because yeah. I'm a Nets fan? Go for it, this yeah. This was a terrible year. I mean, this year was an implosion. You can't yeah. put somebody – Kyrie, Kevin Durant and James Harden, yes, they're all amazingly You're... skilled, but with their with their egos, there's just no You're... shot.
1: Yeah, your cup runneth over with egos, you know? Like yeah. it's and, and, and so that's one of the things I was going to say, like you can't build too much, you can uh, super teams never rarely have more than 3 superstars. Mm-hmm. Like rarely are there more than 3 all-stars on a team. The only one I can think of is Golden State when Draymond Green was an all-star. Uh, but that's a, that's a homegrown. They drafted all four of those, you know, so
0: like those, it's rare and they has to be this level of respect for each other. If you're going to do that, that's just extremely rare, right? They built
1: them all from the ground up. That's super rare. And that's the same thing with your, like, you know, if you're acquiring top talent, it's like, yeah, you've got your franchise player, you got your, maybe two franchise players, but like, you can't put Kevin, Harden, Kyrie all on a team. And, and if you can do something like that, like, let's say there is a combination of three guys. That I mean, those are three three guys who would be in MVP talks many years. So maybe that's a little too much. But let's say you could get three guys like that on the team. It would have to be the right personalities, right? Exactly. Those three personalities aren't the right three. That's what
0: I mean with the Warriors. The Warriors were able to do it, right? You got one Draymond. Then you know you don't and again, you don't have two Draymonds. That's why KD didn't last there. You know, you you got Steph, like everybody knows is his team. Clay is an amazing talent, but he's also got, you know, a really humble personality. And then they had Iguodala, who was, you know, like the sixth man of the year, who, who knows his role and a great contributing member, but he knew his role and he knows he's not Steph.
1: Right. And a lot of times one of like understating the role of that glue guy who like, OK, our you know, there's a lot of egos here. There's a lot of great players here like that grounding player like an Andre Iguodala. Yeah, I don't know. I, I love the analogy because it, it, it is so true of, of teams, too, like that we we just went through an acquisition at Structured. And, uh, and like, there's some really great players coming in as part of the acquisition. And it's, it's very like, you know, it can get territorial or it can get like, oh, defensive or whatever. And so uh you know so far it's been good i think like if you have the right personalities and people who are willing to like kind of put on the jersey and
2: put the team first
1: but yeah uh, yeah. yeah, I i love that and that's like such a great one as a cmo or as a team builder uh to have that outlook
2: i think to like boil that down it's really chemistry is what we're getting around right and and i like to think of it like you know star player whether it's like Steph or whoever you're talking about you know whoever that is in the marketing world you can like there's like a a value you can put on that person. You're kind of like this person is worth, you know, if, if you're going off like Madden ratings, you're like this person's worth like 90. That's awesome. They're 90, right? And then this other person, they're kind of more of a role player. The business is they're not a cornerstone of the business, but they do a good job in the role. They're like a, a 50, but that's all we need out of that 50. Then John, I appreciate you shouting out the glue guys because I think of those people as multipliers. I don't think you assign them like a value. You assign them like a, a a multiplicative value, like a you know, like they make everybody you know times two of what they normally are, or, or maybe more like 1.5 times. So uh, that chemistry is super important, and like you said, with with all star players, you're just stacking. You're not multiplying yeah. ever. So,
1: yeah, yeah no. I, at the same time, you need some stars, though, right? Like in 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 business, in like I hate to call out NBA teams, but you don't want to be the Pistons, right? Where it's like <laughs> you gotta have so you don't you know you know you gotta have someone um but like yeah it's it, it, you you do need some key players you need some franchise guys
2: sure yeah i like cool. how we actually digressed into like actual sports stuff. that, yeah, that doesn't awesome. happen all always Loki, yeah. <laughs> i think casey and i just
1: want to have a sports podcast <laughs>
0: <on>
2: <laughs> coming this uh fall no yeah um cool so uh
1: one thing i want to have one thing i want to talk over here is um First, two, two less things I want to I do and I'll give you a preview. So I want to talk through like iOS 14, right? Like, like, let's just call out the elephant in the room. How has it affected you? Has it been heavy? Has it been like, this has been very noticeable? I don't want to downplay it or has it been like, yeah, it wasn't that bad. Um, and then I also want to get into uh, what is working really well for you right now from a growth standpoint and it doesn't have to be high level growth. It could be like, Hey, here's some like actual tactics and marketing stuff that's working really well for us. Um, and, and what do you feel like you're not doing well right now or you need to be doing better or is like, Hey, we're not doing this. And I think it's uh, a direction we need to go. So yeah, let's start with iOS 14. Um, uh, yeah. Take it away, man. Yeah. Uh,
0: it, it hit us. Uh, I think it hit us a lot less than everybody else did. You know, first, this was just kind of, Oh, this was a board level decision. Like, we didn't want to be a brand that was primarily reliant on paid. You know, mm-hmm. we, we haven't raised money, wanted to be always profitable. So for us, it was really important to keep a certain, you know, blended CAC and, and to keep a certain MER that was really efficient. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and in the early days, you know, we were, we were very under-reliant on paid uh, and have since, you know, have, have invested more into it. So uh, I think what's a little bit more of a healthy growth level. But for that being said, you know, our, we were extremely efficient before. And anybody that, that looked at our stuff that was a marketer was like, you guys are under-investing and you need to spend way more. Uh, and you know, I, I there were times where, especially that being my background, I wanted to scale and I wanted to spend more, but I knew it wasn't in the best long-term interest for the business. Yeah. Um, so that being said, it definitely took a hit. We definitely had some struggles last summer when it first started. We just had to up our game and do everything a lot better. And I think as we kind of progressed, and I've gotten better. Our team has gotten better. We've we've you know uh, been been comfortable, or at least have have learned where we need to be investing our time and our focus to recapture some of that efficiency. Uh, it's been it's been really great, and I think I'm way better because of it. Hopefully, our team is way better because of it. it. It it hurts, but I think because again, there's a moat. The brands that I've seen that that continue to do well on paid social, a they have certain numbers. They have a a high enough AOV. Right. right they have uh again they're they obviously have ltv and they need it and that kind of stuff yeah. um but also their paid social is just amplifying what's already working well inside of your business and i think before that before that it didn't have to be you could be amplifying nothing and right. it would be fine now what that's how i view paid social and the yeah. brands that i think are struggling either just again aren't experts at it haven't cracked it don't have the right margins or what they're amplifying is really just not the right thing to be amplifying
1: right yeah they're they're amplifying you know something that's just a little bit too uh too light you know it's not it's not substantial enough
2: john that always exactly. that reminds me of what you always say about the gasoline on the fire yeah no i mean i like
1: i kind of said it earlier but like you know marketing's fuel right it's not a fire if you throw mm-hmm. if you throw like gasoline on some logs that don't have a fire that, on that you just have wet like gasoline soaked logs like there's still no fire there sure. so yeah, I mean I think it's uh if there's no fire already in the in the business, then you're absolutely right. But I, I also want to agree on one point there where you kind of like it it did hurt, but it's made us better. It is made us better at some stuff like we've gotten, you know, away from reliant on the cause, because let's be honest, were that were the platforms ever really that accurate at tracking? Like, I mean, they were more mm. accurate for sure, but like we've gotten away from that. And I think that's good. Like, I, I like being now that I'm in the world and I've done the work to get there. Uh, I like having a platform that's like, hey, we don't care. We're, we're not pot committed, right? Like, we don't care what channel is performing. We're just trying to tell you, you know? Um, And, and that's like, really nice. And we've also had to be- get better at media mixing, right? So we've had to get a lot better at like, looking at Google and understanding how Google and Facebook can play with each other and say like, hey. okay, if we're pumping this up here, like maybe we need to move some budget there across another channel into this like shop campaign, you know, because if we're pushing that product a lot, we're probably going to drive more search volume, whatever it is. Right. So it's like, we've had to get better at media mixing, bringing in things like TikTok, um, stuff like that. Yeah.
0: I got more comfortable, not directly attributing things. Again, I used to be very yeah. like direct response. If I can't see it, I, don't, I it, it's not, it's worthless essentially. Right. Like if I can't see it, and now I'm like, oh, we'll run on Facebook and we'll see that captured in brand search or, you know, as long as our MER is good or or TikTok, yeah. it's is largely view through and then brand search. And like, I'm totally okay with that now. And you just have to be more patient and more, yeah, like you said, better ability to kind of connect the dots. Right. Yeah. And and
1: I think one thing that's kind of nice about it is that uh, it, there it, there's a human element required there because it's like there's no way to like break it down with like very specific data of like they saw this ad clip like saw it and then thought of it some other like there's no, like that you you there is a little bit of intuition as you're reading that data of like, you know, I, I think that um, this is working maybe better than it says or worse than it says or whatever so yeah, which is which is nice that it's like you can actually get better at something like this. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I think, you know, it's been a, a trip, but it, it's been like, ultimately, I feel like we're a little bit on the other side of it. And it's funny that you were not an aggressive growth brand. So I, let's take a minute to plug. You're, you're on a podcast, right? Like you have a podcast? Uh, yeah, yeah, Ad Spend by Triple Will. Yeah, yeah, you and Ash, right, who yeah. is more of an aggressive growth media buyer. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, check that out. Check out that podcast. So it's funny that it's it's specifically a podcast about digital ads and like you guys go get a little nitty yeah. gritty.
0: Oh, man, I love it. Don't get me wrong. Like, I have to hold myself back like like every <laughs> single day. Uh, but yeah, just just also knowing, you know, we want to be profitable and we're not trying to go negative in the hole for a little bit. And uh, that's just, that's just kind of what we set up. So I know like the other part of the question, you know, it's like, about like what's what's working well for us. Yeah, Yeah. Um, go for it. And again, there's, there's a bunch of things that I think are, are working well. I don't think we have the best Facebook ads in the world, but we're doing fine. We know our numbers. We're, we're, we're scaling pretty well. Um, you know, email is, is something we, I think we can always do better. We're always, we're, especially right now, working on optimizing all of our flows, really trying to think from a customer first perspective. You know, we hired Eli Weiss, who's amazing as our director of CX and retention. So we're really trying to invest in that. But again, I don't think there's one thing that we've necessarily gotten to an expert level yet. Uh, one thing but that is working well that I was very surprised by is TikTok. TikTok is is largely responsible for a lot of the growth from last year to this year, uh, pretty exponentially so. And that's both organic and paid. Yes. So uh, it's something that I've, I, I was one of those people that thought TikTok was stupid and it was just for the kids. And uh, it's been pretty amazing. I'm having a ton of fun, both organically and paid on that.
1: Yeah. No. And I think don't underplay organic, right? Like it, you know, I love, I'm a paid guy. We like paid TikTok, but, but to actually invest in organic for the brand. Um, cool. So, and then one, it, it, uh, and there's other stuff I want to ask you about, but I, I want to respect the time. So, uh, what do you think right now, um, Jones Rug Beauty could be doing better from a marketing standpoint? Like you, you think, Hey, this is something I think we got to get better at as I look, you know, in kind of future cast 22, 23, 24.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think we need to get better uh, about not being reliant on product launches because we're such a new brand. Uh, You know, we've been able to roll out a lot of new products monthly, sometimes a few times a month. And it's pretty amazing to see the spike that that gives you and, you know, the the retention and returning customer rate on those days. Uh, However, I think even like right now, like we've had a ton of things coming back in stock. And every time we have a back in stock day, like some months we'll have like four or five of them. Just because we've we with our growth, you know, we haven't been been properly forecasted. But you know, with, with that being said, now that I'm looking at our upcoming calendar and we have you know some months with with no launches, which is totally normal for brands, but us, that's a little yeah. scary for me. I think yeah. what we need to get better at is building momentum, building buzz, uh, and building I guess some kind of scalable organic traffic and awareness growth without relying on product launches that
1: that grind phase where it's not based around an event yeah so i will actually say i mean i'm a big fan of the launch model like drop drop products as often as you can but but that's almost just as addicting of a drug as facebook ads used to be oh my god totally yeah so um cool man now uh, we have a couple minutes left so one little segment i kind of want to do here too is um if you could ask us something, so I I don't mean to be like, we're the experts because I feel like you've been teaching us, I've been learning from you all episodes. So um, we have a unique kind of perspective where we're across several brands. If you're kind of thinking through like, hey, when I'm internal, I'm just focusing on this one brand. Like, here's one thing I kind of like wish I had more visibility on across more brands. Like, am I the only one struggling with this? Is this normal? Mm -hmm. Um, I wonder if there's anything like that that you were like, hey, yeah, I would really like to know xyz what are you seeing across different brands in in this category or in this thing
0: yeah for sure that's a great question so i would i would kind of wonder what you see as the biggest problem that gets kind of overcome is that unlocks growth for most brands you know if there's something that either you guys work through or you've seen other brands work through and some common thing where it's a problem that they're struggling with and once you're able to kind of address it and attack it like that's the thing that kind of takes off the the training wheels
1: It's a tough one. I, so I kind of like tweet around this a lot and you always, Uh, Mm -hmm.
0: but,
1: but, uh, I hate to say like mindset, right. And say like, I don't mean like Gary V style, like just hustle. Uh, I mean is actually like self-awareness of what the brand is. And like, we've had so many reps with brands that I can like look at a brand and I can be like, these are the growth lovers for that brand. Okay. These are the, but like when you're in a brand, you don't know them. So like, uh, like for Jones Road Beauty, right? I would I would look at it and say like, hey, you know, like this is a replenishable product. The growth flywheel for you guys is LTV, mm-hmm. um, and and once you know, like that LTV, your customer, your retention revenue, your LTV, that's like compound interest for you. Um, yeah. So it will get to points in the future where you'll run at like, I mean, I don't know what your MER is now, but you'll be like, uh, I don't know, do we want an eight MER? this this month or do we want a 10 mer this month like you'll just be able to decide and and you'll be able to do that at high scale right like you could be spending 500 a million dollars a month doing that right um maybe that's maybe really big but like It'll, there'll be so much compound interest that and that it gets, it's easy to rest on your laurels so that's a whole other thing but like once you're in that position you have a whole lot of like leeway to try things to fail to like become more branded all of that stuff um but if you're not that so like here we go our Wallets, one of my favorite brands. A lot of those guys, super great brand. You know, you can only sell people so many wallets. Like the, your LT, like it's just not a product category that's going to lend itself to high LTVs. And it's hard to do regular product drops in like a hard goods thing. So it's different growth levers, right? So it's about channel distribution and, uh, you know, getting to Amazon, getting to walmart.com, getting to retail and allowing that, like, like the whole kind of is what allows you to grow. So those are the growth levers, like, being identifying what your brand is, and it's a lot of times like I just gave two examples, but there's like all over the map. Like somebody could come up with something and be like, Well, it doesn't fit into one of the buckets you said. I'm like, What well, kind of does or whatever. But,
0: um, being I want to make you a shirt that says LTV or wholesale,
1: yeah, whole LTV or wholesale. That's that, that's it, right? And uh-huh. it, it's, not, it's not always that sometimes, it's actually, kind of a combination, like some in uh, yeah. So, I think that's um, I, I mean, you know, there's some that I'm like, you know there's some that are like content commerce where ha- some of their growth actually comes from like being half media company. You know what I mean? Um, so like, yeah, like I think that uh, being really aware of like what your brand is and what the ultimate growth lever for that brand is, and then being okay with like what you're not going to like, if wholesale is it, for example, you're not going to track, be able to track one-to-one on your paid media efforts, right. Or on any efforts. Cause it's like, yeah. If somebody wants to go buy it on amazon they're going to go buy it on amazon no matter how hard you target them on facebook so uh yeah i mean that's that's it so it's, it's a combination of like the right mindset like, like self-awareness and then the right mindset of being able to like accept you know accept what you have to accept and like focus where you can actually control within that which is hard right so that's what, when it really comes down to it it's like self-awareness and mindset but like identifying the brand type is probably the more like directly
0: tactical thing i think yeah, yeah that, that totally makes sense that, that's helpful
1: yeah yeah cool um all right so last thing here um we like to do a parting shot if you've watched some episodes you have to watch all the way to the end to see it but uh uh like it's kind of the tldr a lot of times it's the teaser we put at the top of the vi- uh, video so as we've had this conversation throughout it's just kind of like hey if you're going to tldr this and say like look it's it's uh you know there's the main thing that i've sort of like learned or thought about or uh have either in this conversation or as i've grown jones road um
0: yeah i'll kind of hand
1: it to you and, and let you give us what you feel like the parting shot is for what, what should be the parting shot for this episode
0: yeah absolutely i think that if there's one thing i've learned in the in this last you know year and a half two years it's there's really no one thing and if you were to ask us what's the one thing that's responsible for our growth I wouldn't say it's one thing. And you can look from the outside in and say, oh, it's because they have, you know, recognizable founder or the products are amazing or, or whatever it is, or they have amazing ads. And it's really not. There's so much that you don't see behind the scenes, but really it's, you don't have to be amazing at one thing. You just have to figure out, you have to do a lot of things well. You don't have to do everything well, and you don't have to do them perfectly, but you have to do enough things well enough. And I think you have to figure out and be disciplined in which ones those are. And which things you're not even going to focus on and, and worry about, because especially if you're a lean team or a bootstrap team, you just don't have the opportunity to to do everything to do everything per- perfectly. But knowing what's good enough, and then most importantly, the people that are doing it, the team, that chemistry together, who you need, building, you know, the the support for them. That's the most important thing, because that's who's going to focus on those things and then make those things into your strengths and attack those weak- weaknesses as well. That was
1: like such a succinct way to say something I try to say all the time. Like, just chills. That was amazing. So, like, appreciate it, man. Is, it's just like prioritization and like knowing where to focus. And yeah, I love it, man. So, Cody, appreciate you being here. This has been an incredible episode. Um, Casey, I'll let you take it out. Say all the YouTube things.
2: All right, guys. Thanks for being here, uh, watching this episode. Thank you, Cody, for uh, doing this interview with us. Thanks, John, for leading it. I don't know where I'd be if I had to ask all the questions. (laughs) Like, what's your favorite sports team? (laughs) Anyway, guys, thanks for watching this episode. If you watched this far, I'm hoping you liked this episode. So please go ahead and actually like this episode down below. Drop a comment, maybe, if you uh, have anything to say about it. Uh, Go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you're subscribed to the channel. Hit the bell icon to get notifications about whenever we drop new content onto the channel. And as always, until next time, we'll see ya.